If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Sinead Barry. Let me start by saying that at one point in our conversation, Sinead asked me if I was okay. That sums up Sinead. The episode was extremely difficult. I couldn't contain my emotions and I wept openly through. Sinead is a special kind of person. So strong and dedicated. Dedicated to her family. Dedicated to Mike and keeping Mike's memory alive. On the 23rd of March 2019, after a short illness and at just 32 years of age, Mike passed away surrounded by Sinead and his family, leaving Sinead and her three children behind. Sinead shares some wonderful memories with me. Their engagement in Paris, the birth of Nicole and their plans to build their dream home. But most importantly, Sinead shares Mike with me. A man who put Sinead, their children and their dreams first. A joker and his no-nonsense approach, it is what it is attitude. Mike was a forward thinker, an old soul. And when his sister got in touch with DIY SOS to finish their dream home, there was no doubt Mike was there on the sidelines watching down on them. As she sits at sunrise drinking her coffee, looking out at the beautiful views, it's very surreal, but also bittersweet. With Mike's anniversary coming up next week, I'm very grateful to you, Sinead. So follow, follow the sun and which way the wind blows when this day is done. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? My name is Sinead Barry and I come from a small village called Dundrum in County Tipperary. And Sinead, is that where you met Mike? Um, I would have always known Michael. Um, he came from a small village, Cap White, and I was originally Anacarty, but all three villages are quite close together. Um, so we always knew one another, but it wasn't until kind of la- our later teens, I suppose, when we kind of became um, more we kind of seen each other a lot more because we were in the, the same so- social group. We would have got chatting in uh, the venue, which was a local disco in Dundrum uh, one night. And he asked for my number, um, which I didn't give. Um, but he was a persistent cookie and he got the number off of my sister without me knowing. So it kind of transpired from there. He texted me a couple of days after and we were kind of texting on and off for about two weeks um, when he asked me to the cinema and kind of the rest is history. We went and... Come here, why did you not give him the number? I don't know. I just think, um, 
I, at that time, I just wasn't looking for a relationship. I was kind of out enjoying myself. And I had always known him, but I hadn't looked at him, I suppose, in that sense. Um, and, you know, I, I had a wall up, I think, at that time. I didn't want, you know, to to be hurt. I didn't want to start something. So I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't give it to him. So you're forever um, grateful that your sister gave it to him then, hey? Yes, and he, he he'd always joke, and after if anyone asked how we met, and he'd say, "Oh, sure, she was chasing me around for a few weeks." <laughs> he'd always spin it back on him, on me doing it, not him. And what kind of relationship was it? Was he romantic? Which way was he? Oh, he was a bit of everything. Yeah, he was. Um, he was very kind, very caring, very funny. You know, he always had a great sense of humor. Um, his smile would just and laugh would just, you know, overtake anything. And he'd always draw loads of attention. Everyone loved him. He was really lovable. Um, yeah, he was just a really nice, kind person. Was he a bloke's bloke? Was he into his sports and stuff like that? Uh, into working out in the gym and that he would have played um, hurling when he was a teenager but as he got older it was kind of the gym he kind of took off with the gym loved the gym did you love the gym no I was the opposite <laughs> I didn't <laughs> um no I'm not a gym buddy <laughs> quite we were quite different but we intertwined really well you know um Nicole then we met in 2005 and we had Nicole then in 2006 um so you know he took to fatherhood really really well he was almost better than me um and he just had a, he always had a great kind of head on his shoulders and straight away once she was born you know it was you know what what are we doing where are we going you know do you want to build your own house do you want to buy you know what what kind of way are we heading you know he was always asking the questions first which I wasn't used to that would be kind of me pondering I never had to think um you know of anything really he was always kind of on it before me and was um, Nicole a shock to you was she was she a little surprise she was a surprise yeah <laughs> you know, but a welcomed one. Um, we were, we were both really, really happy, you know, and he was, I would always like describe Michael as older in his years. He never acted his age. He always acted like he was more mature than that, you know? Um, so we went to Paris in 2009. I'm just jumping on 2009 and I booked it for his birthday. His birthday would have been the 21st of February in 2009. Um, so he would have been 20, he would have been coming up in 23 at that stage. Um, we were 19 when we both met. So, um, I surprised him with the trip to Paris for his birthday and we decided we would leave the Eiffel Tower until the day of his birthday. We'd passed by it, but we said we wouldn't go up. Um, and into it and uh, see it until his birthday so um, he spun it back on me and when we were on the top of the Eiffel Tower I was looking out over the view and the lights and I turned to say something and when I turned he was down on one knee um, with an engagement ring so um, he didn't even get to ask me uh, the question I had the ring snapped out of the box and on my finger Um, yeah, I got such a fright. Um, there was just so many people there. They were all taking photos, you know, <sighs> clapping. It was just, it, it sounds, you know, it was your dream. But um, he, yeah, he spun it around to me. So that's the type he was. He would always, you know, be thinking ahead and he'd want, you know, even though I'd done that for him, he wanted to do something for me. Um, so that was very exciting and just the most amazing trip. And let me ask you then, so... This trip then to Paris is booked by you. So how long does he have to organize that engagement? 
um, less than a week. Oh my God. Uh, you know, I surprised, didn't want him to know too long in advance, but I needed him to know enough to get the work off. So a week he had. And do you um, think he had the ring already and was planning to do it somewhere else or? No, no. I think once he, once he found out it was Paris, he thought, you know, I do want to get married. I do want to propose at some stage. What better place to do it than there? You know, there's not never going to be another opportunity as good as that. And he was, he was on it straight away. And did he um, tell others that he was planning to do this or did he just keep it to himself? Um, he had his two sisters told and I think they helped with uh-huh. choosing and picking out the ring with him. God, that's lovely. God, isn't it just, it's just so romantic. God. Yeah, you know, that's kind of the type of person that he was. He was always thinking of me and the kids. He came last, even though it was a surprise for him. You know, he he just turned it and it was it was for me coming home. You know, I had the ring on my finger. But um, yeah, it was very exciting. Um, so kind of the years rolled on and we were discussing building or buying and looking at sites. Everywhere we went, we were kind of looking at houses and we passed by um, seeing what we liked, things like that. So um, 2012, Rowan arrived um, almost the six years after Nicole and pretty quick then once he was there, we kind of said, you know, definitely we're going to try looking for somewhere to build. But it didn't happen until 2014. We found the, the site that we started building on just outside Shundrum. That process must have been really exciting for both of you. Were you really particular about where you wanted it and how you wanted it to look? We both kind of knew that we wanted to live kind of close to both our home places, um, which the site ended up being exactly, it's the same distance for me to go to my parents as it was for Michael to travel up to his. So it was perfect. And it's just a little outside the village of Anacarty as well, which I had gone to primary school in. So we were familiar with everything. Um, and it was the view, the view that sold it to us, you know, um, the lights are amazing here at nighttime, the sunsets and sunrises oh, that you God. see every morning. Um, and that was the dream right there to be drinking a cup of coffee out on the deck, looking at the sunset each evening. Um, and that's, you know, what we kind of worked towards and started really quickly. Um, Nicole's communion would have been the 10th of May 2014 and we broke ground and started building the day after on the Sunday the 11th of May um, and that was the most exciting day I'll never forget going up and seeing all the hustle and bustle um, we had the site for about a year and a half before actually starting the build um, and would have done all our planting we plant our, planted our hedges all around the edges because Michael was always thinking ahead and always kind of said, you know, they can be grown away and, you know, it'll be nurtured and it'll look really well then once we start, you know, we'll have the kind of basis done. So he was just brilliant and done it all himself in the evenings. He was a hard worker, never, ever stopped. Uh, I was busy at home with the kids. Um, I'm a beauty therapist, so I worked part-time from home as well. So the two of us were just always very busy, always moving, always going. But the end goal was always the house, the dream. So everything was worth it. You know, everything we sacrificed was worth it. It is. And, you know, it is right now. Obviously, it's a bittersweet for you, but it is the the end game. And then tell me then, um, move on then through to what, what happened with Mike. Um, so, um, and 
Kiva was born in July in 2018. Um, she would have been our third and life just was so, so busy. The house was definitely up off the road. It was roofed. Um, he was every kind of evening up here um, when he wasn't working. So he was just constantly busy. And when he would come home, we had a small baby to look after and he was quite tired. Um, but nothing that I would have, you know, suspected anything of. Um, it wasn't until kind of October, he had the first issue, which was his back. He'd been working up here late and it was just before 11 o'clock at night when he came down. Um, he'd after, he was after being thrown a pipe onto the back of his trailer and his back went out. Um, and he did remark how easy it had gone out uh, for somebody that worked in the, worked out in the gym and was constantly like his job was strenuous. He was the steel erector. Um, he did find it odd, but you know we didn't dwell on that kind of either. Um, it went out a second time coming up to Christmas the first week in Christmas it went out again um, that was just unexpectedly he wasn't doing anything at all he just woke up and it started causing trouble so went to the doctor and was booked in for um, an x-ray for the 11th of January so the second week in December came and he came home from work um, he'd been working away that day in Waterford and said you know made the strangest thing happened I was on my way back on the motorway with with Mike and he said it was you know a long motorway no bombs nothing he said and all of a sudden he said the cars coming towards they had their lights on it was late at night he said the cars looked like they were jumping over bumps to his eyes um he said he, he turned towards Mike to say something and he was also kind of jumping and that's the only way he could describe it to me um but said he felt quite sick in his tummy afterwards and he just didn't feel right in his head um I wasn't too alarmed. I thought maybe, you know, he's just doing too much. He's tired um, and said, look, Michael, if it happens again, go to the doctor, you know, don't sit on it. Um, but Christmas came and went. Um, he wasn't his usual happy self. He was really tired and just kind of edging to go home Christmas Day, which we would have always done at my parents. Um, and it wasn't until New Year's Day um, that the eye problem happened again and I happened to be there. Um, he said he could feel a pulse in the side of his head. But, you know, looking at him, his eyes were normal. They weren't jumping for me to look at. So we knew something wasn't 100% right. Um, two days later, it happened again and he decided to go to A&E himself. Um, it was around Christmas, you know, New, New Year's, so things, our local doctors and that weren't back. Um, but all the bloods were perfect and he was sent home at half one. He left at half four that day and he was sent home at half one um, and told, you know, everything is fine um, and we'll send you to Waterford and we'll see about getting your eyes looked at down there. Um Two days later, again, it happened and our own doctor was opened and Michael went and our own doctor said, you know, you're too young to be having vision problems. I'm just worried it's something a little more sinister and I'm going to send off for a CT scan immediately. Um, a couple of days passed and another spell happened, which he went again himself to Amy. 
Um, but it was the same kind of story. He asked if he could get a CT scan, um, but they told him the time of year it was and being on a weekend that there just wasn't anybody to scan unless it was an absolute emergency, which it didn't seem to be as the bloods were just so normal. Um, so he was sent home and told to come back Monday, the 7th of January and to come as early as possible and that they would scan him for peace of mind more so than anything else. Um, so that was the kid's first day back at school after the Christmas as well. I asked him if, you know, he would like me to come with him and he said, no, um, Sinead, just stay at home, keep, you know, go do the shopping, keep everything normal, you know, it's probably nothing and, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch throughout the day. Um, he phoned me when I was in Duns at half two and said, you know, no results yet. Um, I'll give a call back, you know, when I, as soon as I hear something and asked how my day was, you know, everything was normal. And the next thing, um, it was half four. I was, the dinner was on. I had the kids in from school um, and my phone rang and it was Michael. Um, the first thing I remember hearing was the wind. Um, and kind of snuffling. And the first thing I actually said to him was, you know, well, everything must have went okay. You're outside. Are you on the way home? Um, and there was a quietness. Um, and then the next thing out of his mouth was they found something and then crying, which it alarmed me straight away. I, I almost just passed out because I'd never heard Michael cry and I knew it was bad. Um, I didn't know what to do. I had the three kids and I was on my own and I straight away rang both my parents and they were 20 minutes away on the way home from Nina. Um, so they came straight to me and stayed with the kids and I went with Michael's brother, Martin, and went down to the hospital to Michael. Um, on arriving, he wasn't none the wiser really as to just that, you know, it was a tumour. Um, and they just weren't sure what they were dealing with. They said it didn't look like cancer. It didn't resemble cancer. It was the size of a 20 cent coin. It was just behind the eye area in his brain um, and that it was round and smooth. So they were in contact with Cork and, you know, hoping to kind of get him down there. And, you know, the talks was getting it removed, getting it out. Um. I remember coming home and feeling just relieved to know that, you know, pretty soon it will be gone. It will be out and our life will be back to normal. And, you know, this will be just forgotten. And it'll, it's just another hiccup that we're going to be dealing with along the way. How did you find him at the hospital? Was it his demeanor? Like, was he upset still? Or? He, was, he was quiet. Um, no, he wasn't upset. He was just very quiet and very concerned as to how I was, if I was okay. And for me not to be worried that he was young and they found it now, you know, whatever this is, it's found Sinead and, you know, it'll be gone. And he was under the illusion, same as I was, you know, and we'll be back to normal. We'll be, we'll be all right again. Um, it was just as the days went on, I suppose, he started to get a bit more worried. He was put on steroids immediately. There was a small bit of fluid around the tumour um, and, you know, he wasn't hearing from Cork. Um, so it wasn't until the following, that was on a Monday the 7th, and it wasn't until the following um, Monday he was supposed to go for his um, x-ray on his back in a different hospital, um, which he obviously hadn't turned up to because he was down in Clomel. Mm -hmm. Um 
and they contacted Clomel and said, look, you have a patient of ours. He was due to get a back x-ray. Um, and they took him then on the Monday in Clomel for that back x-ray a full week later. Um, and that revealed a spotting on his back. Um, and then that prompted a full body scan. Um, which I knew nothing about. He told me none of this. Um, he was told the results on Tuesday, the day after that, um, you know, the results had come back from the full body scan and there was spotting of tumours in both of his lungs, his liver and on his spine. Um, and he kept that news to himself. Um, he did not want to break it to me himself. Um, he was due to go to Cork the following day on the Wednesday to have the consultation to get the tumour in his brain removed. Um, so rang my parents and he actually told them what was after happening and he asked them to bring me down um, and to be with me and him when the doctor was going to come and break the news to me. Um, so that's what happened. I arrived on the Wednesday um, I knew something was off because I had been down the day before and got his clothes ready for a cork and left him on a chair. They were still there. He wasn't in his room. Um, and when I went outside the door to look up the corridor to see where he was, he was walking down with a doctor. Um, the doctor was in a suit and had um, a book of files with him. So I automatically kind of panicked. And, you know, I knew I was being told something that I didn't want to hear. Um, the doctor arrived into the room and it was confirmed when the next thing he said to Michael was, is everybody here that you want to be here? Um, and Michael didn't even speak. He just nodded. So I immediately just sat on the bed. Um, I wasn't able to stand. Um, I, I, I just zoomed in and out of that conversation. I heard spotting lungs. I heard uh, skin cancer. I heard lung cancer. Um, and I heard, you know, further testing. I, I just, just bits and bobs came, came to me. I was in such shock. Um, the doctor left not long after. Um, and the first thing Michael did was sat on the bed beside me and he put his arm around me and he kissed the top of my forehead. And he said, um, whatever this is, we've got it. I'm young and I'm fit. And I give whatever this is, everything I can. He said, you know me. And I said, I do. But it was also the first time that I properly looked at him since he was down there. And I think it was the first time I actually realized, oh, my God, I think you are sick. Um, he'd lost so much weight. But I suppose life was just so busy with the new baby, everything. I hadn't been looking properly at him. Um, he was sent home that day and he was told that the next kind of stage was um, an appointment in Waterford um, and it would be a, a bronchoscopy and that that would determine what they were exactly dealing with that they couldn't get in anywhere else to test and that the two lungs were the safest kind of option. Um, that week that we waited to go um, was the best week that we had in the whole of his sickness. He came home that evening and he said, for the next six days, we're just going to take each day as it comes and we're just going to live normally and forget about it because 
the situation, Sinead, it is what it is and we can't change it and we can't presume until we know what we're dealing with. And that's the type that he was, you know. And how hard was that for you? Um, just take it, take a breath to your right. How far, how hard was that for you in that week? Did you just have to go, okay, I have to do what he says and I just have to pick myself up? I knew, um, I knew by him he needed me to be strong. So I zoned into that mode by day. Um, I never spoke about the tumour, what was, you know, going on, the test that was coming off. I spoke about nothing. I talked about everything like I normally would. And I went for lots and lots of walks in the evening time when I needed to, which wasn't unusual for Michael to have me go on for those walks. I always would have done that. I would have been the walker and he was the gym. And on those walks, um, I would scream the loudest I've ever screamed. There was a wood up the back of our house and I would just let it out up there. Um, I remember once falling down, just screaming and roaring. Um, I remember coming back from one of the walks and seeing a hearse pass the house. Um, And that kind of just caught me off guard. And I just thought, is this where this is going? Am I going to be close to something that I'm just after seeing past and I hope this isn't my story and I had to go back up the road again because I just wasn't ready to come back I had to be normal coming in that back door um so he wouldn't have known anything like that I think for me it began a massive road of anxiety um stress sleepless nights I haven't like he's passed away two years this March coming and I have not slept contently or peacefully since that diagnosis um but I never let him know that he never knew that that's how I felt I just put that brave face on and I done that for him because I know he'd have done it for me I know I know um but it was it was difficult you know but we had three kids as well they're they're great kids are a fantastic distraction um and he really, Michael had missed a lot of Kiva because of the work he'd done. He was gone so early, half five, six every morning um, and she'd be still sleeping. And, you know, he wouldn't arrive home until late at night. It could be half six again when he'd arrive and he'd eat his dinner and he'd make up to the house and work a bit. It could be 10. He, he missed a lot of her. She was in bed asleep when he'd come back. So he really reveled in those that time at home with her and really enjoyed her and it was lovely to watch the two of them I got lots of secretive little videos that he didn't know because I just I didn't know what I was preparing for and we hadn't any much photographs or videos of him with her at all you know um because you just don't think of those things when you're living a normal everyday life you know you just go with it um so, you know, there was a lot of happy distractions as well. And it was lovely to have him back, you know, at home for, for that length of time because he was always gone, you know. And then did things happen very quickly after then you got to Cork? Um, everything just seemed so slow, you know, from the 7th of January. He had the appointment in Cork um, the six days later, we'll say. And once uh, that we had to wait, then he, well, he went for that appointment um, and we met the, a lovely doctor. And he kind of told us the same thing, you know, this is 50-50. It is cancer or it's an infectious disease. It is one or the other. And both, he said, present themselves quite the same. So he said, when you go home tonight, he said, 
do not be, you know, worrying and stressing out. He said, your results will be within 10 days. And he said, we will go from there. Um, there is no point, you know, he said, you know, overthinking anything when we don't know what this is. Um, but he did tell us that whatever, you know, it was on Michael's lungs was just beginning. Um, and that he basically had gone in blind and that he just had to take whatever tissue he could without really, you know, being able to see fully where it was because it was so, so small. Um, so I think we came home with hope. It was the first time, you know, I had a bit of hope again after his initial diagnosis. Um, the 8th of February, we were brought to Waterford for the results. Um, we went with his sisters, Katrina and Mary, um, and we were in the lung oncology department and we met the lung oncologist and she said, you know, this is not my field. Um, you're not actually dealing here, Michael, with lung cancer. What you have is um, metastatic melanoma. And we all kind of paused and I think Michael asked, you know, skin, is that skin cancer? And she said it was. Um, and she told him that he was stage four um, and that he would have to come back in two days time again to meet the actual melanoma oncologist that, you know, it wasn't her field um, and that she would uh, take us into another room to meet the nurse, the oncology nurse for the melanoma and that she would kind of give us the appointment and give us a leaflet with all the information. Um, we were floored uh, straight away. I knew it wasn't good, but Michael did not act any way different. You know, he was very calm and, you know, all he was thinking about was, you know, what's the next step? You know, how do, what, what's the next stage? What do I do? And we came home that night and it was a little yellow book, a melanoma yellow book I was handed. And I set to read it and I said you know Michael I'll read it and I'll do all the research on this I said you don't have to be worrying yourself I said if you want or do you want to read it with me and he said no he said Alaska the last frontier is on I'm watching that he said you can read up on it he said and fill me in afterwards um but I got to the staging part of the book and when I read that out um he, he nearly fell off the couch and he turned around and he said, so stage four, he said, that's the worst stage then. And I said, I'm, I don't know, Michael. And I think that's the first time I think in that room, he had heard metastatic, he'd heard stage four, but he still wasn't fully aware it meant incurable until I read it out. Um, I think when you hear skin cancer, you're kind of like, oh, okay, skin cancer. I can deal with skin cancer. Yeah, you know, he just, I don't think he was fully thinking, you know, how serious it was. He seems, it was me that was doing all the worrying. It was me Googling. I went on Dr. Google that night and I didn't come off it for about three hours. Um, I had everything I could possibly put into Google researched. Um, and, and the same thing kept coming back, you know, that within five years, five to 20 percent of the cases were, were still alive and I kept you know it, it five to 20 kept popping up every everything I put in there and I knew you know this is not good but you still you still don't think that far ahead you still don't you still just process the day you're in and that's all you can do um did that yellow book say that it was incurable 
uh, stage four basically said stage four was you know four parts of the body and that it was incurable and then it went on to treatments which I, I had known before going down I had it all researched that there were two types tablet form of chemotherapy or immunotherapy and both were just to prolong the life that you know it was incurable I had known but um, Michael he he didn't want to know how long he'd have. He just wanted to know if I if I go on something, you know, will I live a bit longer? And, you know, he was told that in the meeting the two days later. She told him uh, one further test had to be done to distinguish with the melanoma which form they were dealing with. Um, there's two types of treatments. And if you have what is called a BRAF defect, your kind of only option is the tablet form of chemotherapy, um, which she had told Michael was, you know, would be the best form of treatment for his specific type. And that she was hoping that he did have it because it meant treatment could start sooner. And she told us that people on this tablet were still alive seven to 10 years later, that it was a wonder combo. And it, you know, there was so much progress made up melanoma that as bad as the situation was, you know, he could live, he could have a sustainable, livable life, you know, and it could be prolonged. And he was happy coming home after hearing that, you know. Um, on the Monday, that was Friday, on the Monday we got the call. He had the defect, the BRAF defect, and he was due to start treatment the 16th of February, which was a Saturday. So um, he's bloods, he got the bloods done on Thursday of that week and he got the thumbs up to take his first two tablets for Saturday. Um, but Valentine's came the 14th, which was a Thursday. And we decided, uh, with my sister being in Limerick and living in Limerick, to do it on the Friday when she would come home. He had her phoned and asked her to babysit. And he booked a lovely meal for us over in Parker's. Um, it was half four on the Friday. And I went up to get ready for the dinner. And um, Michael got up to bring his cup of coffee back into the kitchen and he started to shout. Um, and I ran down the stairs and he met me at the end of it and said, call an ambulance. And um, he was holding his head. Um, I asked him, you know, what, what's wrong? What, what is it? And he said, I, I'm blind. I, I can't see. And I have a, a terrible pain in the right side of my head. Sinead. He said, something is not right. Um, so I phoned my doctor, um, who only lived in Dundrum and thought, you know, could he come over as well while we were waiting for the ambulance? I was nervous. I had tequila on my own and the kids were there. Um, and he said, get him straight to me. And he said, I will do the ambulance. I will ring. And he said, I will take care of all of that. You just get Michael to me. Um, by the time we got Michael there, he was fully blind um, in both eyes and in severe amount of pain. Um, he was taken to Clomel um, and it was later that night that the scans on the brain revealed that the tumour um, he had there had bled. Um, so he was kept down again and they were kind of in conversations as to what to do because he was due to start his chemotherapy the day after but also starting it uh, may not stop the bleeding if he started on the tablets 
Um, and they knew if they started them, they had no option with them with radiotherapy on it to help dry it out because you couldn't do both. So a few days passed and they committed to the radiotherapy. Um, five consecutive days of it were, were booked um, in Whitfield's clinic in Waterford. Um, and it did shrink and start to dry it out. Um, he was very, very depressed for those kind of few days up and down. Um, and I think that's when it kind of took its toll and hit him that, you know, I am, I'm sick. Um, because he didn't feel sick, you know, he didn't act it. But now, uh, you know, he was he was sick. You know, he finally kind of admitted it. And he broke down one of the days down there and said, you know, I can't believe this is happening. And... I am so sick. He said the pain in my head, it will not go away. Um, and it was just annoying him that he couldn't see as well. You know, his, his vision had come back very slightly, um, but it was very blurry, you know, and um, bright lights, anything like that bothered him. Um, so once the end of the radiotherapy finished, he was sent home. And that was the end of February. Um, and he only lasted a couple of days at home. He slept. He was great during the radiotherapy, loads of energy, but it was when he came home, the toll of it all kind of hit him and he slept a lot. He slept hours and hours every day um, and would get up just to eat something very small. He wasn't able to eat that much. Um, so the weight was the first thing I noticed kind of coming off him. The weight just fell off of him. He was really strong um, and he started to deteriorate that way first. Um, he spent five days at home and on the fifth day, it was Friday the first week of March um, and he stayed in bed all that morning. He didn't even get up for a cup of coffee or his breakfast. Um, and I went up at half two and I said, are you going to get up at all? And he said, um, I think you need to call an ambulance again. I, I don't feel well, Sinead. Um, he said, my head, he said, the pain is just, he said, I thought it would be okay, but it's not. I don't feel 100% at all, but he was very calm. Um, I did, I phoned the ambulance and I got him dressed. He was very, very wet. He'd been sweating a lot. He was very clammy. Um, so I redressed him and I got him down the stairs. I don't know how I, I managed it. He was really weak and very heavy, but I did and got him to the sitting room. I was screaming on the ambulance to the phone on the ambulance. They arrived two lovely, lovely men and, um, they brought Michael out the front gate and set him in the ambulance. And I stood at the front door while he was being examined. And one of them said, you know, you're very young. Um, I myself, he said, had a brain tumor. And he said, I'm five years down the line. He said, and look at me. He said, so he said, don't panic. He said, Michael, you've got this. He said, you're going to the right place and don't be worrying. And um, he just looked back at me. I was standing at the gate. And he looked at the ambulance man and he put the finger up and he pointed to me and he said, you see her over there? He said, that's why he said, I'm going to fight and do everything I can because he said, I'm going to get home. He said to, to Sinead and he said, and to the little baby that she's holding, Kiva, he said, and I will, I will, I'll be back, he said. And he gave me a wink and the ambulance man closed the door. Um, I didn't go because the kids were just due on from school and Michael didn't want me to go. He was persistent. I didn't go. He never wanted me worrying or in the middle. He wanted me to continue and take care of the kids. Um, so I held Kiva in my arms and I waved 
Um, and that actually was the last time that Michael um, was ever in our home in Greenfields. He never came home. Um, I arrived on late Friday evening down. Um, I kept in contact with him all day, but there was just no one to take the kids. There was so much to be done. And he kept saying, you know, I'm okay. You know, there's no need to be down yet. There's no results back. I'm still going for testing. You'll just be sitting, waiting on your own. Um, do what you need to do and just come down when you're ready. So um, I went with my sister Orla and we got down at uh, half five and he was sleeping. Um, I spoke to one of the nurses and she said he's very tired. We have no results yet. Um, but she said it's just to manage the pain in his head. Um, she said it's unbearable and it's making him very, very sick. And that's actually why he's vomiting. Um, so he finally woke around half seven. Um, and the first thing he did when he woke, he was tur- he had his back turned to me. So he actually didn't know I was even there. And the first thing he, he said was Sinead. And that's the way he always was. Um, and I answered and I went around and he said, oh, you're here. He said, um, have they my results yet? And um, I said, no, but just at that, the nurse came in um, with the doctor and she said, you know, um, we've all the results back. Um, your cancer is stabilized in your liver and your two lungs and your back. It hasn't gotten any bigger or progressed since your first ever scan. But she said the tumor in your brain is after bleeding again. Um, so right now, she said, it's just to get you as comfortable as we can and get that pain under control before we take the next step, she said, and get you on your medication. Um, so they didn't, he wasn't due to start them until the Saturday anyway. Um, so the Saturday morning came, Friday evening came and I was gone home at about half 12, one o'clock I arrived home and I texted him and I said, I'll be down first thing in the morning. And I said, I hope you get some sleep. I said, and don't be worrying. Everything's okay on this end. I said, the kids are fine. And I said, I love you and I'll see you in the morning. Um, and he never opened the message. He never read it. And um, when I came on the Saturday morning, I came with my father um, and he had deteriorated massively. Um, he wasn't able to hold his neck up. Um, his hands were just he had no control over his two hands or his legs Um, he was able to speak to you his hearing was 100% but he couldn't fully see me either Um, and he just kept repeating the same thing the pain is just very bad in my head I just want the pain to go away at half one um, his doctor came down the hall and I happened to be coming up the hall with a cup of coffee for myself and he spoke to me out Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Inside Michael's room, and he said, I need to speak to you in the family room. Um, so he brought me and my father in there and he said, you know, um, it isn't good. Um, the cancer in Michael's brain is aggressive and it has remained active and it is now knocking off parts of his body as it's spreading. Um, and he said that he had at most the weekend or a few days to live. Um, I remember him getting up and walking out and my father was sitting beside me uh, with his two hands cupped together and his head was looking down, he was facing the floor, his head was. And I remember uh, my father would be very good in a bad, bad situation, especially to pick you up and tell you all the good things. So I looked automatically for that in him and I was on full repeat, you know, saying, Daddy, Please, I said, is Michael coming home? Is he going to come home? And he wouldn't answer me. And I said, Daddy, I said, is Michael going to die? And I said, is he coming home? Please, I said, just tell me, Dad. And he looked at me and he just shook his head. He didn't even speak. And then after what seemed like ages, he said, no, Sinead, he's not coming home. And I remember just falling down beside him and we were hugging and crying. And out of nowhere, Michael started calling me in the middle of all of that. I hear Sinead and I took a deep breath in and I opened that door and I went across and into his room on that same breath. And he said, that was my doctor. He said, I could, I heard his voice. Are my going to be okay? Are my results back? And I, on that same breath, I looked at Michael and he couldn't see me. He couldn't move. And I said, your results are back. Your cancer is not spread anywhere in your liver, your lungs. I said, it's stabilized. I said, and right now I said, their only concern is getting your pain in your head away for you. I said, because they know how uncomfortable it is. And I said, you'll be fine. Um, I felt so bad when I came out of the room after saying it because 
I didn't know whether I did on the right thing or the wrong thing. And a lovely nurse came down towards me. I was crying in the corridor and I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should tell him. And she said, what good will telling him do? She said, I think you've done right. And I think you should continue that way and be there and be strong for him. And that's what I did. I um, played that game, you know, of everything will be fine. I was on full repeat and just kept repeating the same thing. It's not spreading in the liver and lungs because I felt I was telling the truth, you know, about that. And it just, you know, it was horrific. Um, on the Sunday when I arrived, um, I had to feed him on the Sunday. He wasn't able to eat but he was still 100% with the hearing and well able to talk to you. Just couldn't see me very well either. Um, and his family arrived that day. All his family came down and mine were in and out. Um, and there was great banter. He was cracking jokes, you know, in and out of sleeping. Um, and the last thing his sister said to him, Katrina, before she left was, you know, keep fighting, Michael, and you have this. And he wrote, he, he wrote back, I was saying, he spoke back and the only thing he said to her was, that's the plan. And he shouted it because he was getting a little bit deaf. He shouted across the room, that's the plan. And I remember just the whole room, we were just all laughing together because it was just so typically Michael, you know. Um, I was phoned, uh, I went home to get clothes, change of clothes, things like that, uh, get Kiva organised and I was phoned. I was only in the door when I was phoned to come back um, that Michael was unresponsive um, and that he was been taken down uh, to be ventilated, um, that his breathing was quite laboured and, um, you know, to come immediately. Um, so I remember getting ready to run out the door and my eldest, Nicole, came running to the kitchen and she said, is it daddy? And I said, yes, Nicole. I said, um, I don't think it's very good. I said, and we're after being phoned to come back. And she said, I'm coming. I'm coming. And she said, it started with us three. And if it's, if daddy's not going to make it, it's going to end with us three. And I thought, you're 13. You're 12, really. Actually, her 13th birthday was two weeks away. And I said, um, you're third, 12. How are you even? doing and saying this this shouldn't be coming out of your mouth right now but she came um throughout Michael's sickness his inspirational meditation song that he listened to every morning without fail was Xavier Rudd followed the sun and he said there was messages for everybody in it and we played that song um we were told that he wouldn't make the night so it was very difficult looking at him ventilated because he just didn't look like him anymore. And it was scary and just a mix of everything. Um, but he did, he survived the night. Um, and he survived for two more weeks, actually. Um, on day three, he came off ventilation and was breathing on his own, um, able to communicate, speaking, but he was fully blind. Um, he asked once why he couldn't see and we just told him that you know because of where the tumour was and it had bled again that that would be the reason and that you know like before it should come back and he was happy with that he was really content to know you know well this is the way I am for now you know it's fine and 
he was just a warrior. He was brilliant. He never he never stressed out about anything down there. He laughed and joked when he was able to. Um I just remember one of the days going down and he said, I can't, I'm finding it harder to move my legs again. And he threw his left hand up. His right one was completely paralyzed. And he just said, I, I just don't know what the point is. He said, I'm struggling. Um, but he kind of deteriorated very quick again after that. The, the cancer spread very quickly. And on the following Wednesday, um, he was sent to Waterford. Um, and I was told on the Friday that the cancer had almost uh, progressed everywhere throughout the brain and that it just wasn't good. And I was told the second time again that to prepare, it could be a few days. Um, Michael passed away on the 23rd of March, the day after, at 27 in the morning. Sir and by me and his mum and his brothers. Um, yeah, it was just so difficult. I'm sorry, Sinead. God. It's so tough because I know the anniversary is coming this few weeks and you're having a tough week, I know. Yeah. I'm sorry because I'm a mess and you're, you're, okay. you're so strong. You're so strong. Like, it's just... God. I don't know. I just, I don't feel strong. Uh, I think that's something that's always said to me, you know, you're an inspiration and you're just so strong. But when you don't have a choice to be any other way, you just have to be that way. You know, you don't have a choice. I have three little kids that need me and I know he'd do it for me. And that's what keeps me going. You know, I always think if the shoe was on the other foot, he'd do it for me. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, he would as well. It's it, and it, it is like you're a mom of three kids, and you have to keep going with them. Especially, God, poor Nicole, like being a teenager, you know, losing her dad. Yeah. You know, that's and she would have turned um, thirteen exactly a week later. He passed away on the Saturday, the twenty third, and she turned um, thirteen the following Saturday, the thirtieth. So. That was extremely hard because it was a big, you know, in the first year into the 13th year. And I think the first thing she kind of remarked to me was, I, I thought daddy would at least, you know, be here for that. I thought like he wouldn't go before my birthday. And, you know, I, I tried to explain that he, if he could have, he would have stayed and stayed forever. You know, I said he just couldn't. I said he was too sick. And we went actually to Lahinch, um, that song. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or listened properly to the words, but um, he did not wake any morning without listening to Follow the Sun. And I played it at his funeral and I took great comfort in the words. I still do. If I'm ever having a bad day, I will kind of listen to it. Um, but we went to Lynch to um, the beat and I remember being there and the sun was just a big ball of light out in the ocean. And I took out my phone to take a picture and I couldn't even see my phone. It was because we were outside, you know, I couldn't see what the picture was going to be. I just put the phone up and I snapped, I pressed snap, but it wasn't until late that night. I actually, it was the only photo as well that I took the whole time down there. We just reflected on Michael and kind of, you know, just worshipped his life, really thought about his life and 
I came back to the hotel late that night and when I got out the phone, I looked at the photo and there was a big, massive beam of light coming straight down the middle of it. And I just felt, you know, if there ever could have been a sign today for her birthday, you know, let that be it. And it's funny, photographed since and I never noticed it before that there's beams of lights and and everything you know and always surrounding the kids as well so I take comfort in that I think you have to look towards something you need something you know you definitely do and did you speak about funerals with him like did you have that conversation or like no it was never spoken about because to Michael he was going nowhere um and he he was living and that was it that was the end of the story there you know there was no death there was nothing you know um so you know that was something that I went into completely blind and on my own um and I had to deal with that on my own but um we live near a really fantastic funeral home and James's James the White's funeral home and they were fantastic they took on everything you know and helped with everything and took that worry and stress out of me um just everybody was was brilliant everybody and anybody surrounded us and I think since Michael got sick um we've been lucky we've had that I feel like we've always been just surrounded and pulled along and carried through um you know we've been lucky and Michael was lucky to see that he did remark it to me I didn't know how good and kind people were and I didn't realize that he said and appreciate it until I got sick because you know he did get to see it and experience it as well and I'm happy he did because it is people that got me here now where I am today with the kids and you know I get comfort in knowing he got to experience a little bit of what I now you know feel and know because I noticed that on your Instagram, you have there's so much like friends, you've loads of friends and these are date nights and you seem to have that yeah. little support group. In, you know, I on, do, I'm yeah. lucky. Yeah, I've always had it and I've been just so lucky and blessed with people, you know. I do feel that that's what's gotten me through everything is people and talk and I don't hide my bad days from having a bad day and I meet someone and they ask me how my day is. I don't say I'm good. I'll just say I'm not. I'm not feeling great today. It's actually not one of my better days. And, you know, they might say one or two things that would totally lift you up. And, you know, you would say it out loud to somebody, you're not going to go mad the rest of the day, you know. it's. I just think you have to be honest as well, you know. And I think with the honesty, there's not that avoidance with you being honest with people then, you know, you have that support. Yeah, that's it, you know. I always find being honest is the best thing I don't know sometimes you know am I too honest like I'd completely say it as it is but I do feel better after talking to somebody and then just about Kiva she's two now is she she's two now she's been eight months when he passed away yeah she's a character Um, and she yeah she is the joy in our lives um she has brought so much fun and excitement and um, she's very like her daddy with the red hair and the blue eyes and just he's he's devilment and he's laugh um I know he'd absolutely just be blown away by her if he was here he would have found he would have get, got a great laugh out of Kiva he always enjoyed all of them but Kiva is another level for definite <laughs> Um, even Rowan, he's he's eight now, but not long after Michael passed away, he was in the sitting room in our old home and he was watching Kiva and playing with her and he just looked up at me and he said, I don't know what we'd do without Kiva. 
mom, he said, she's our joy. She's our hope. And he was seven at the time. And I just thought he can see it. And he's that young, you know. I do think she arrived and came into our lives for that reason, you know. She's the distraction we all need. And, you know, something that gets us all up and gets us all moving every day. Because it could be very easy for you to take to the bed, just to take to that bed and... And I do have days. I do have days. I know automatically when I open my two eyes every morning, whether my day will go okay or not. I know immediately when I open my eyes. But the days that are bad and that I know it's not good, I'm not feeling well mentally, I'd struggle. Um, I would just take every minute, every second as it's coming. And I just don't think any further. And I would zone in on the kids, zone in on clean and tidy and whatever I can do to pass the time. I would get out for walks. I love going for walks. We have windmills near here. Um, And I love those kind of walks with the kids, just the fresh air. I just do whatever I can to pass that bad day and not be in bed because that's not the way I want my kids to remember you know, what it was like without their dads, their mum gone as well and in bed. You know, I don't want them to see that. So I will be there for them, no matter how I'm feeling myself. And then other than the kids, who's your support? Who who are you putting that phone call into or that text message to say, I'm not good today? My sisters, my parents, you know, my brother, Michael's family will ring, you know, if I'm not having a good day, I don't hide it from any of them, you know, there's always somebody to ring me. I have very good friends, I have very close friends that will automatically just send a text and it might be on one of my bad days and that's the way it's always been the text will come true and it's like you know he's guiding me along the way you know he knew I was having a bad day now I've got another text and I'm talking to somebody again and I don't feel as bad as what I did when I woke I have massive support in both families and my friends you know they're fantastic all of them are and then tell me about your and Michael's dream home Um. so we were building for five years um, and we initially were building a log home. Michael had researched everything with log, log homes. Um, but then we decided that we were going with a log home look on the outside and it will be done with um, block work. So um, it looked very different to other houses, which he liked and he wanted. And I was easy going and how it looked. So I didn't mind, which which we bounced well off each other in that department. I didn't mind as long as it was a house and I was able to do up the inside like I want it. Yeah. Um, and he didn't care about the inside. He said, as long as it looks on the outside, you can put whatever you want in there. So um it was very exciting. The kids are always involved on weekends when they wouldn't be in school. He'd have them up here with them um, and they'd be helping. We all helped. I gave numerous nights and days up here helping with all the itty gritty nitty things. And it was always fun because we were always together doing it. And, you know, it was to work towards the dream. Um, so just before... Um, Michael got sick in the December. Um, we were onto the stage of plastering and we got all the right hand side of it done. Um, and the plan then after Christmas was to plaster the left hand side um, and apply for a mini mortgage in March to get the furniture kitchen, you know, and get it livable. Um, but he passed away the 23rd of March. So the house lay idle. 
Um, we came up lots, me and the kids, after he passed away, but it was very hard to see it as he left it um, and to know that he was never going to finish it. That was very difficult to get my head around. Um, and he passed away maybe a month or two um, when his sister, Katrina, phoned. Um, and she said she was after being online and had seen an ad for DIY SOS coming to Ireland. Had I ever heard of it? Um, my reply back was, have I watched? I said, sure, me and Michael watched that <laughs> numerous nights. And I said, he even made a remark, I said, about getting on it. And I said, I turned around to him and I said, Michael, you have to be, you have to need help. I said, to, to get on that. And Michael said, we do need help. We're at the house five years and we're still not any further than we were. And he was just very funny. Um, so I had, I had watched it um, and I was amazed that it was coming to Ireland. But, um, I just didn't really think any more of that. She applied and said, look, I'm going to send in an application and we'll just see where it goes. But I did not think into it after that. I just thought in, in the back of my head, I just thought I'm, I'm unlucky. I don't get picked for anything. It's all of Ireland. There's going to be so many families, you know, in situations similar and worse. And, you know, it is what it is. If I get chosen, you know, it happens. And if it doesn't, I won't even think about it. Um, and it did, it happened. Um, we were, we were chose as one of the family of three. Did you get the phone and call or did Katrina get the phone call? Um, I got the phone call. I had done a few little interviews over the phone with them, um, but it was all part of the application process. So they would tell you, you know, you're not any closer to anything and, you know, don't be stressing out about anything. You know, this is all normal and we're doing this with everybody. Um, so when the call came, I was just blown away. I could not believe that it was going to happen. Um, so they started the night, it was a nine day build that they do. Um, and they started it the end of September. Um, and it was a Tuesday they started and they finished the following Thursday. Um, and I walked out of a building site on that Tuesday. Um, everything left the way I'd seen it for five years I'd seen it that way and when I walked back in the door on day nine I walked into a home that felt lived in already it was so familiar it was the strangest feeling I can't even describe what it felt like um I'm still blown away to be honest I said there's still mornings I wake up here I'm here now a year um, and there's still mornings that I wake up and have to pinch myself and think, did that actually happen? You know, did all of that happen? Um, they came volunteers from all over Ireland, I was told afterwards, and over 125 of them came after hearing our story, um, all with stories of their own. Some of those workers were going through cancer themselves. Um, others had wives and sisters and cousins that had had, had cancer and others had just stories where, you know, they had seen the situation and thought that if it was them and it was their wife and their kids that they simply would want somebody to come and help them. So they had, they were there for all different reasons. Um, and I think the biggest thing that was remarked to me by a couple of them that I met was they all left. They said that building site on day nine, feeling like they knew Michael, they said, his personality came across and so many friends that they had spoken to that went up and worked. Um, and they said they felt like they knew him. 
and that they were so happy that they had made his one wish come true um, before he passed away. Um, he called, he only spoke for half an hour and he called me and asked me to get his brother, uh, Paul, um, for him. He wanted to speak to him. Um, the room was quite busy. We were all in there. I didn't really even, I didn't even take any heed of what they were speaking about, but it was afterwards Paul told me um, that he asked for trees um, before he got the second bleed. He was going up planting fruit trees. Um, he wanted them to start growing and be there by summer. Um, and he asked Paul if he would do that. Um, so he was always thinking of the house and that was in his head that last half hour, you know, before he, he went into a coma. Um, and everybody remarked how, you know, to do that for him. They didn't do it just for us. They did it for us, the kids, and they did that for Michael as well. And that meant an awful lot to know that he was thought of as well, you know. God, it just must be, I don't know how it feels, but it just must be every morning that you're there, you're there in the home that he, that he, that he built. Mm. Yeah, it's very surreal. And for a long time, um, I felt so guilty that it wasn't him that finished it. And like to walk around the house that was finished by everybody, it was designed and the love and care that went into it, it was finished out the door. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Such a sense of him there because they had thought of everything. They had pictures of him in places. I wouldn't have even thought of putting pictures. You know, his timber is on the mantelpiece in the sitting room. The sayings that he would say, he was adamant on the saying, it is what it is. I could never have an argument with Michael. I always lost because his only reply to anything throughout our 14 years was, Sinead, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. Get over it. <laughs> um, so that saying is in our hall. Um, you know, they thought of absolutely everything. And even though he didn't finish it, it felt like he was part of it because of everything that they thought of, you know, they thought of him throughout and it feels like he is here, you know, and did think of some of those things. And that's lovely to feel that. Um, Do you feel him in the house? Do you you know? There's a sense of home. Yeah. It feels like Greenfields, but he's just not physically there. I do feel, you know, I do feel like, you know, we're all there together. I think that's what gets me through some of the days. You just don't feel so, you don't feel alone. Um, I do sense, you know, when I, I, I get up every morning and I have my cup of coffee looking at sunrise down the hill. Um, and that's something that we had spoken about doing. And I do that and I do it every evening. I take my cup of coffee out every evening and I watch the sunset and I feel closest to him outside and doing all those things that we said we do. And that's what gets me through. I do the things we spoke about and I get comfort in those, you know, and they're my few minutes to myself out of that busy day um, that are mine. And I just reflect on every day. And I think that's what I do. I reflect on each day as it begins and each even as it ends, you know. And do you talk to him out there when you're doing that? I don't talk out loud, but I would talk in my head. Yeah, I would, you know say, God, I wish you could see the sunset this morning or look at that view down there. The lights, they twinkle and sparkle at night. It's a, it's a fantastic view. There's a view for miles. Um, 
and it's just sad that she's not there. But at the same time, I think he is. You know, I said it to the builders um, that night. I said you brought not only us home, but you brought him too. And I know he got great peace of mind because it was something that it, we were living towards and that bothered my good for the years, just the house, the house, the house. And it was finally finished, you know, the dream come true. And then tell me about going forward with the girls and with Rowan. How are you going to deal with not only the grief, but the memory, keeping that memory alive, especially for Kiva? Yeah, I've often thought about that, but that is actually something that has come very easy to all of us. Um, She's two now and she has progressed from calling her daddy to calling him dad to calling him daddy on to calling him dad like she has progressed calling me mammy to ma'am um he's spoken about all the time without realizing um there's videos there's numerous videos and i could be playing them some night or nicole or Rowan could have them on and straight away the face lights up and she will run she'll say that's my dad and she'll run and she'll sit up and watch them um Ron, like he speaks about Michael all of the time and it's just done I think without any of us knowing and if we're passing Michael had built a couple of walls near here and one day passed and he said uh, daddy built that wall Kiva and you know she was going yeah my daddy did that you know and he she to, to her you know Michael is a pitcher he's the video she has a daddy we celebrated his birthday and we had the cake and we sang happy birthday and you know it was to her daddy you know it's like you know to her I think she's grown up like he is there but she does to daddy daddy to her is her photograph the photograph and the videos that's what daddy is to her she doesn't know you know any better than that that's what she's learned and we're keeping it alive without realizing you know and even Rowan to say that wall, that's the wall that daddy built. Yeah, and he's brilliant if we're anywhere. You know, Rowan's biggest worry and actually what Nicole would have been so scared about when he first passed away. Um, and I couldn't believe she even spoke, you know, was thinking that for her was that Rowan would forget him. She said, it's fine for me, mommy. I'll remember him, but Rowan won't. Rowan will forget him. And Kiva, and she was very upset for Kiva. And uh, Rowan would have came to me on numerous occasions and said, I'm frightened. I think I'm forgetting daddy. I can't hear him anymore, mommy. I can't hear what his voice was like. But then we could be somewhere and we could pass somewhere and Rowan straight away. I remember when I was maybe four or five and my dad took me fishing and we passed there and this happened and he'd have the whole story. And I would say, you do remember Rowan? And he'd say, I do. And he'd be like delighted with himself. You know, there's reminders, I think all the time that will, you know, help us all and and do help us all. You know, there's reminders everywhere of him and, you know, um, they look out for each other and are always talking about him to keep always, you know, Rowan is fantastic to do that. That picture, uh, or was it a video of Kiva's face to Ron to tell him to shush one day? You were doing it. Well, what were you yeah. doing? I was like, oh my God. Yes, um, he was he was stealing um, what she thought was um, a ball or something out of her basket. Um, and she was on the attack straight away. He's just, um, 
But he just leaves her off. He just finds her so funny. He doesn't take heed of her at all, which is lovely to see in one sense. Um, but she gets away with too much also. <laughs> <laughs> and then I know you do the balloons for uh, Mike. So what are you going to try and do something this year to commemorate? I've been thinking and I just didn't know what to do this year. The first year was our first year in COVID and we just, you know, we're, we'd no mass. There was no church at the time with, with COVID. Everything was gone. And I thought the balloons was just a lovely way to get the kids together with them. Um, this year I thought about, you know, a little TikTok video dancing or something and, you know, bring everyone together, put it up and challenge all our families, you know, to do it and maybe hashtag it to Michael again so that we could see it all or hashtag it under the balloon for Mike um, so that we could watch them all maybe and see the fun side in that, you know. Um, or I was thinking of a candle at the same time, everyone go out and light a candle and hashtag it under that as well. So I haven't really fully decided um, what to do, but we will mark it in some way special for definite, yeah. And Sinead, tell me some of your best memories of you and Mike together. Well, there's so many. Um, I think one of the biggest ones was having Nicole. We were very young and just seeing his face once she arrived, just seeing the happiness and the contentment once she arrived. Um, Paris was definitely the biggest one. Um, and I think... You know, one of the last ones was our holiday to Donegal. We had always wanted to go there. Um, and it was the summer, coming up in the summer um, of the year before we passed away. And um, we decided that we would take all the kids to Donegal. And anywhere we had gone on holidays, we would do an island. Um, wherever it was, we always done one of the islands. And that is my best memory um, to date of Michael. He was so free. Every picture I have of him on that holiday was just peaceful. He, he switched completely off. The views in Donegal are absolutely out of this world. And we went to earn more and walked every inch of it by foot. We didn't do, do bikes, nothing. We walked it all, take it all in. And there's a beautiful beach down the very end of it. And when we got there, the pains in our legs were worth it. <laughs> there was just so much fun on that holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just to see how free and happy he was that that memory stays with me forever. Um, and our wedding, our wedding was... Uh, a beautiful day. It was a small wedding with just our close family, friends, and it was brilliant. The best crack we had ever had in a night out. Michael was, we were going to bed that night and he turned and he said to me, I don't mean to brag. He said, even though it was our wedding, he said, I quite enjoyed that. It was the best wedding I was ever at. He said to me in the bed. And I said, I, I think you're right. He said, jeez. He said, I didn't want to come up at all. I said, me either. <laughs> Um, so just things like that yeah and starting the build that was really exciting I just never forget starting the build together that that day we broke ground the the two of our faces we were like two kids Um, yeah there's just so many and are you still doing the beauty? I still do the beauty but COVID has put a stop to that again so um, I only went back two days a week um, this time I found I wasn't able to manage mentally or emotionally with, you know, spreading myself that, that far. But I do need it in the sense of company. I look forward to my clients, company, you know, company and coming. They're great. A lot of them are friends as well. 
So um, I look forward to that adult company in the evening. I take them either early morning or late evening. Um, and it's my break away from talking to children all day. So mm-hmm. I do look forward to that. And if I was to keep it up forever, just for that, I would. Mm-hmm. And Sinead, what does the future hold for you? To think, do you think, you know? I don't know. Right now, I just take every day as it comes. And I actually don't think that far into the future because I think that's what frightens me most and that's what scares me most to think and where I will be and what is ahead of me I don't know um but I'd like to think that you know I'm moving forward with my kids and you know that one day I'll find happiness and contentment the true happiness and contentment I started with because that left with Michael um and even though I laugh and smile it's it's not that true and full happiness that I once had. So I hope that finds me and contentment. I think that's one of the biggest things. The contentment is gone. And I just hope one day I will just be outside drinking my cup of coffee, watching the sunset and feel that happiness and contentment again. Is there one thing that you now know that you would say to everybody about life? Um, I think one of the biggest things is not to take anything for granted, um, appreciate each other, um, little petty arguments, they're nothing compared to the big thing, um, get up each day and live it the fullest that you can, don't be worrying about silly little things, they don't matter, um, find someone that you connect and that you love and don't let that go and fight for that um, because when you open yourself up to something like that, you know, it's amazing. And just be kinder to one another. Don't judge people. I think that's a big thing. And that was one of Michael's biggest things. I think that's why I loved him so much because he never judged anyone, never judged anyone's situation. And always said to me, what's the point? You know, it's not going to change anything. And if everybody stopped judging people, would there be so much arguments in the world? It would be just happier. I appreciate the simplest things in life and I take nothing at all for granted nothing Sinead your Instagram page where can people find you on Instagram um, they can find me at Sinead DS style your Carrick Dunn jacket I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it and I'm going to, onto the website and I'm looking at it and I'm going will I buy it will I not buy it it's just your, your, your fashion your style the house everything it's just so lovely and I know it's it's bittersweet but it is for someone on the outside looking in it's just so lovely um, but yeah I think I'm going to have to invest in that jacket in the jacket because when you go on to it and it will be gone then you'll be crying <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I roll if I see something now I'm on it because I've normally left um, saying oh no I should have got that <laughs> yeah I'm definitely going to do that now can I ask you um, about the cancer like do you know where it came from the, the melanoma no that was never disclosed um, I only have my own kind of perception on that myself but um, with the melanoma he had it would have arrived as a mole um, or a freckle of some, of, of some sort but nothing like he had you know three full body checks and nothing was found um, to resemble any sort of skin cancer but Michael did suffer um, kind of 2017 on with his hands Um he would have had what resembles, you know, eczema on his hands, very, very bad, cracked, broken skin. 
Um, and once he went down to the hospital and he was started on the steroids, I remember day three arriving in and Michael saying to me, look at my hands. That's all I needed all along was a steroid. They're completely healed. There wasn't a mark left in them. Um, and they were, they would have bothered him. Like he was, they were very sore and he was always itching them. Um, so he had passed away maybe about two weeks when I was at home and I was drinking my cup of coffee. And I asked that question so many times in my head, where did it happen? How did it get in? And I just, his hands came into my head and I went on Google and I just Googled melanoma on your hands. You know, what does it look like? And I hit images and the very first image that popped up, look, you know, it was like you took Michael's hand off and took a photo of it. So that is just my presumption on it myself that maybe it had got in that way um, but it was never confirmed and we were told also it didn't matter because at that stage when it was found it was at stage four. And are you still waiting for answers or are you moving on from that? No I'm not waiting for answers you know um, at the end of the day what he had, you know, was melanoma, um, one hundred percent. How it got in, it it really doesn't. It didn't. It didn't matter really, you know. Um, he was already at stage four. It was metastatic. So, whether things moved quicker, faster, you know, at whatever way it kind of went, his situation would have come up the same. And I kind of just tell myself that don't beat yourself up about it. There's a lot of what ifs that you ask yourself when something like like that happens and could I have done something differently? And you do kind of tear the whole situation apart, but it didn't help me. So I've tried to kind of close the book on it and just accept it. I think Mike has rubbed off on you there a little bit with that, has he? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) possibly. Sinead, thank you so much for sitting with me. Um, I have to apologise because it was just like, oh my God, I, I, I turned into a blubber mess and I really tried to compose myself. But um, it, it's, you're some woman, that's all I can say. You're, you're such a, a wonderful person and a wonderful mom. And I just hope that, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I hope, you know, I, I just hope you get through it. It's just. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's all I hope to just to ride it out and survive it and make new memories with the three kids along the way, happy ones that they can look back on, you know. Sinead, thanks again. Um, and I will let you go. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.